Tapes. The most listened to radio show on the planet. Even the other stations are tuned in too. Hi, I'm Taylor Bybee from Coaster Studios, and you're listening to the Coaster Challenge Podcast. Hey, this is Josh with Scream and Stream, and you are listening to the Coaster Challenge Podcast. Hey, this is Jeff Tucker from Knott's Berry Farm, and you're listening to the Coaster Challenge Podcast. I accept the Coaster Challenge. 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 Do you accept the Coaster Challenge? What is the Coaster Challenge? A group of regular people that went from fearful to fearless, all from riding roller coasters. So please secure your hats and glasses. It's time to take the Coaster Challenge. Here are your hosts, David Cantu and Jenna Gazelle. Hey, how's it going, Jenna? Great. How's it going, Dave? It's going good. Going good. Looks like we're approaching toward the end of October. Yay! Halloween's around the corner. God, it's been that fast, hasn't it? Yes. It's been one heck of a month. Been very busy, too. Gosh, I mean, I've, I would say it's, yeah, it's it's been crazy for me. Uh, I've been very overwhelmed this month with everything going on with the holidays starting and just with Halloween and with all the parks doing what they've been doing this past month. Uh, it's been insane. Right. Um, so how did you enjoy your first visit to Not Scary Farm? I did better than I w- what I expected. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I'm very proud of you. You did three of the eight mazes. Yes, I did three of the eight mazes. And Mike was even proud of me. He didn't think I would do as many as I did. Were there any of the three that you liked? Um, I liked the depth one the wa- the water sea creature one ah uh, yes that yes. one was easy for me to go through i mean it was really awesome you know they did a pretty incredible job considering the one part of that maze where the floor is shifting like you're actually in right a, either on a boat or i almost felt like i was in a submarine or something where right you i think that was the whole effect supposed to be the whole effect though yeah of you being on like a ship yeah you know? that was pretty crazy uh, i would tell you not not scary farm really did a good job this year you know para- uh, i think it's paranormal maze is actually ending this year so yeah that's the one that got me that one threw me over that was that was like the okay i am done maze i will say i i did seven of the eight mazes i didn't get a chance to do the last one over pumpkin eater yeah pumpkin eater i didn't get the chance to do this year but it's been around every year so i might have to do it next year but yeah i they were all pretty i was pretty impressed i I was very amazed how in detail and uh i'll tell you it was uh very immersive and how just the the love they put into these mazes was really amazing. So. Uh, I love the scare actors. I mean, a lot of the scare actors were awesome. Yeah, boy, we got it. It's, I will say that it was a really, really fun night. That whole Coaster Challenge podcast team with our friends, they were all, we were all down at Not Scary Farm on opening weekend. It was a lot of fun. And so now we're right back here in the studio and getting ready to share with, give you guys another great episode because we've got a very special guest in the house today. We actually got our first author on, on the podcast today with, uh, Iva. Uh, we got Evan Ponspangle. He is the the young author of the new book that's called King's Island, A Ride Through Time. And it's basically sharing the entire history about King's Island. So all you King's Island fans, you're going to want to listen to this episode because Evan actually shares a lot of amazing things that went on on making this book. And you know, Jenna, he started writing this book when he was 16 years old. That's amazing. I mean, we need more writers like that to do for 
our theme parks out here. Oh, he's a great inspiration. He's inspiring a lot of young people to get into writing. And for him to be able to write his first book at a high school age, is it's just... That's just incredible. Right. Uh, talk about an accomplishment, and you're not even 18 yet. <laughs> right. And, you know, it's like, it just shows you folks, that it don't matter how old you are. If you have a dream and you have a vision and you stick with it, it can happen. You can, if you work hard enough, you can make it happen. And Evan did that. And Iva is standing by on this podcast with Evan. But first, we are going to still, since it's October, we are still going to do our very special Halloween edition of the YouTube Highlight, Highlight Clip, Clip of, of the Week. week. It's the YouTube Highlight Clip of the Week Halloween Edition. Alright, in this special YouTube Highlight Clip of the Week Halloween Edition, Jenna is going to be sharing with all of you guys a very special YouTube video that's from our good friends from Fernie and D from Kidult TV. That's when they were down there when we were at Not Scary Farm, but they put out a really, really funny video. So tell us a little more about it, Jen. <laughs> so, because you and Iva and Andrew were with the Mice Chat group, we kind of were doing our own thing with Fernie, D and Sarah. So we had gone through uh the three mazes down below or the four mazes down below ghost rider and then we were coming back kind of around and we went through what is ghost town i believe and as we were going through it one of these ghouls one of the scare actors he was a really big guy started chasing sarah in the in her the electric scooter and she was trying to get away and all you hear is her say holy bleep bleep <laughs> and her running away and we're all teasing her and about she's sitting it. there screaming on the way down going oh, yeah. five miles an hour on this <laughs> motor scooter it's like a one of those wheelchair type <laughs> motor scooters oh yeah and she's sitting there calling like basically full force down in the middle of ghost town in the fog and there's this 300 plus pound zombie right behind her chasing her down and she's just screaming all the way down but it was great because like he never touched her he didn't like he didn't do anything but he was just kind of he's like squatted down to kind of be like at her level in the chair and he's just keeping up with her as she's you know like going across and we're all busting up laughing i mean you'll hear all of us saying put it in rabbit mode you hear me sit there and, and kind of tease her about her ex-husband of how why is she running away from him <laughs> and uh at the very end of it one of the other scare actors walks past and he's a taller gentleman and he goes take her license away <laughs> so we're we're all busting up laughing sarah's like that's not funny type of thing it was just i'm sorry hilarious. but I, to, if fernie and d are listening fernie you did a good job capturing that moment oh yeah it was great on youtube and also a big hit on tiktok as well yeah i will say that was the funniest thing i wish i could have been there when that oh happened. you would you would have been dying <laughs> and Michael i will tell you guys dying yeah. i was dying we were I, all i will tell you guys if you've not been to not scary farm or not scary farm in general ghost town is the heart of the park so when you enter the park the first area you're going to hit is ghost town that's where you're going to see ghost rider on the left but in the center that's the original ghost town that ghost town has been there since the very beginning of knott's berry farm since the 1920s and when you go through there during Not scary farm it is heavy fog you oh, cannot yeah. see anything in front of you and they've got scare actors 
all over in that fog. I've had scare actors literally come up to my face out of the fog and scare the je- Jesus out of me. You know, <laughs> what can I say? But yeah, that was a great clip. And I will tell you guys, just remember, it's when these haunt events, there's some people out there that really take offense on what the scare actors do. You guys got to remember, this is all good fun, you know? And I will say that scare actor did a good job making a lot of people laugh at Sarah's expense. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, it was great. And she, I mean, she was doing it. She had a, you know, a good attitude about it. Yes. It was just funny because it was just like, okay, we're going to cut down through here. And out of nowhere, it was like, where's Sarah? And you hear, holy Jesus. And you just see her like, we're like, where is she? Because we couldn't really see like where she was. And finally we see her and we're just, we're cracking up laughing because she's, you know, in this little, the little scooter trying to haul buns and she can't haul buns more than maybe five miles an hour. And she's like, ah, <laughs> it was great i loved it. it it every time i see it i just i get a good laugh out yeah, of it yeah i have to i have it saved on my phone so every time when i need a good laugh i just watch that clip so sarah if you're listening thank you so much that was a great great funny moment that you did i call it the perfect kodak moment <laughs> right <laughs> Anyway, anyway, guys, we're going to have the link from Kid Doll TV be put in our show notes so you guys can be able to see for yourselves just why this was so hilarious that we had to talk about it on this Halloween edition of the YouTube Highlight, Highlight Clip, Clip of, of the, the Week. It's the YouTube Highlight Clip of the Week Halloween edition. <laughs> All right, so Iva is standing by, and we had a good chance to talk to our guest today, and we have Evan Ponsmingle, the author of King's Island, A Ride Through Time. Incredible story, guys. I hope you take the time to listen to this story. Incredible how he basically discusses how he started all the way from beginning to end of writing this book. So I hope you guys enjoy. So take it away, Iva. Thank you, David and Jenna. Welcome to the Coaster Challenge podcast. I'm Iva, the Midwest producer of the show. It's time to roll out the red carpet for our special guest. He is the author of Keen's Island, A Ride Through Time, which tells the story of Ohio's magical playground throughout the years. This young writer is an inspiration to all by overcoming challenges to make his dream a reality. Please join me in welcoming to the podcast, Evan Pomstingle. Thank you so much, Iva, and thank you, David. Thanks so much for having me on. It's, a real, it's really an honor. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today, Evan. Absolutely. Yes, it, 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 it's a real honor to have you on our podcast. And this is actually our, our first season. And just what you have accomplished in your young life is just amazing. And I can't wait for you to share your story with our audience. Thank you. And this is a milestone episode because you are our first author to be on the podcast too. Awesome. That's great. That's so exciting. That's awesome. Now, we have a bunch of questions to ask you today, Evan. A lot of them are going to be specific to your book, and then the rest of them are going to be some little stuff for people to get to know you better. So are you ready to kick off the question? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So your first question is, what was your first coaster? First coaster... I think it was the Little Dipper, which is at Memphis Kitty Park in Cleveland. So I'm I'm from the Cleveland area originally. And then um, my dad took a job down here in Mason, Ohio. And so I moved down here in 2007. So my first coaster, yeah, it would have been the Little Dipper at Memphis Kitty Park, because that's kind of the park that I went to as a little kid. And then I grew up going to Kings Island. So my first 
I guess, real coaster in quotation marks was Backlot Stunt Coaster at King's Island. So I think the order of coasters I did, Little Dipper, and then at King's Island, what was then Fairly Odd Coaster, and then um, what was then Little Bill's Giggle Coaster, and then I think uh, Backlot Stunt Coaster. That was so long ago. I was so young. So it's like, you know, some people, they have like really strong memories of their first coaster. And with me, it's like, it all kind of gets a little hazy. You know what I mean? Now, was it Backlot or was it Paramount's The Italian Stunt Job Coaster? It was Backlot Stunt Coaster by that point, because that would have okay. that would probably been in like 2008. So I moved here in 2007, and then I rode that for the first time in 08. Now, how long? So you've been riding coasters for a while then, right? Yes, but I I was a amusement park person before I was a roller coaster person. Like I, I didn't really, I, I had a fear of coasters and like I didn't really fully get over that fear until 2016. So I'm a little bit late into the, you know, the coaster enthusiast game. You know, some people, they're like born coaster nuts. And with me, it took a little while. So what was it about coasters that scared you? It was just like the height, the drop, like that sensation. I just got, I was just really scared of and just the unknown, you know, it's like, I obviously I grew up going to Kings Island and, you know, so it's like, for me, like I grew up riding like Adventure Express and like Backlot Stunt Coaster and the racer sometimes, the racer, that was a little scary to me. The beast was, even the beast was scary to me. And so it's like when Banshee opened, like I had never been on a coaster that went upside down. Like that was my first upside down roller coaster was Banshee. And like, I rode that and I thought that was fun but I still wouldn't do heights like Diamondback. Like I would stay away from Diamondback. And then I finally rode that in 2016. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so fun. And just like that, I was into roller coasters. So, so what was the first coaster that scared you the most? I think the first coaster that like actually like terrified me was Banshee. Cause like that was one that like, it was just so unknown. Cause like I said, I had never done an inversion on a coaster before. So I had no idea how that was going to feel. Like I got in, I wrote it with my dad and this is October of 2014. So I still get to say that I wrote it in its inaugural season, but I, I had no idea what to expect. And I was like, I was, I was like almost crying. Like I was so scared because I didn't know what to expect. And I remember the employee, um, the ride up checking our bars. He's like, it's going to be fine. He's like, this is such a fun ride. And we went up and, you know, you go down and you go into that dive loop and I'm like, okay, I'm like, this is really fun. And then the other one that really scared me was my first time on Diamondback because I'd never been on a coaster over 200 feet tall. And again, I, I didn't know what to expect. It's so tall. And I just like, that is like, you know, everybody has like that coaster as a kid where it's like, like, I guess the big one, you know what I mean? Like that coaster opened a couple of years after I moved down here. Cause I moved here in 07 and that opened in 09. And I just remember, like, I had never been to Cedar Point before. Uh, I'd been to Cedar Point once as a baby, but like, that, does, that doesn't really count. You're not, you're not gonna remember that. And so, and so I remember co- coming in April of 2009 and I just remember turning that corner. I had never seen a roller coaster that big and I was just floored. And so in like, that is, that was the big thing in my mind. And I, I wrote it in 2016 and I was, ab- again, I was absolutely terrified. I was like shaking. I was so scared going up the lift hill and looking around and being like, oh my gosh, I can, I can literally see my house from here. And, um, and, but like I said, you go down that first drop and it was just amazing. And it was an awesome ride. The airtime was awesome. And we hit the brakes and I was like, oh my gosh, that's awesome. And, and like I said earlier, like, just like that, I was obsessed with roller coasters. Like, like I said, like I didn't get into coasters until 2016, but I always loved coasters 
coming to Kings Island. I love the atmosphere. So I was like, I was an amusement park person before I was really like in the roller coaster aspect. Now, what's really interesting for our listeners who have not been to Kings Island is that with Banshee and with Diamondback, you don't really get a chance to see the layout of the ride and know what to expect when you're riding it because you know, with Banshee, you've got, you know, that first drop and, you know, as she's screeching and everything, but then you go back to where, you know, the old Son of Beast was and where the bat is, so you can't really see it. And then the same thing with Diamondback, you really just see the first drop and then that little helix at the end with the splashdown, the rest of the ride you don't see because it's back in the woods close to over to where Beast is Mystic. Yeah, exactly. And that's, I think that's one of the things that makes King's Island so unique. Cause like you go up to Cedar Point and it is such a, a flat park and you can just see all the coasters, they're everywhere. And at King's Island, it's very different. You know, all of our coasters, they'll pretty much go out into undeveloped territories. I love how all the coasters are all built into the train. That's the one thing I love about it. Yes, yes. That's, that's definitely probably our trademark as far as our coasters go, is that we are a very terrain driven park when it comes to building our coasters. So creates for some really unique and really interesting layouts. So how were you feeling when you were approaching the station of, we'll do either Banshee or Diamondback? Terrified. Like I was terrified on both of those because I just, I was so scared. I had never experienced anything like either of those. Like I think before, before Diamondback, my next tallest coaster was Banshee, which is, you know, it's 167 feet tall. Dimeback's 230 feet tall. So that's like, a, I'm terrible at doing math, uh, 60 foot difference at least. And so I, I just, I was so terrified, but like, it's kind of exciting because like, you don't really know, like you're scared, but you are kind of excited because it's this, you're, you're conquering this, this unknown territory to you. It's exciting. It's terrifying. But I love both of them and I still love them to this day. Yeah, they're both great rides. Now, did your dad uh, ride with you for your first time, Evan, for both of them? Banshee, yes. Diamondback, it was my neighborhood friend, David, who I rode with. So had your dad previously rode Banshee before you guys had rode it together? Yeah, yeah. He rode Banshee. Yeah, he rode Banshee in April of 2014. I think it was, I think it was probably the, the weekend after opening day that my parents rode it. My dad's always ridden the coaster. So like he rode Diamondback as soon as that opened. He rode Banshee as soon as that opened. I remember like probably this is definitely one of my first couple of times at King's Island. I remember me and my brother and my mom waiting in front of the go-karts in Action Zone, waiting for our dad to come off of Son of Beast. Yeah, yeah, I was lucky enough to ride Son of Beast twice when I was open with the with the loop. Oh, awesome. That's really cool. Was it fun? Was it, was it fun? Was it questionable? Because he has lots of different opinions on, on Son of Beast. I don't remember it being bad, but then again, I wrote it back in 2003. So, you know, I know I only wrote it that, you know, two times because I live an hour or two and a half hours actually away from Keynes Island. So I didn't get a chance to go down there that much, but I was lucky enough to at least say I rode Son of Beast. But I can remember, you know, growing up that my you know my dad used to ride the coasters as well if I wasn't tall enough to ride them and I remember he rode Outer Limits Flight of Fear the first year that it opened and we were staying outside of the queue line waiting for him to get off and he was on there forever and I found out later that he got stuck on Outer Limits. Oh my gosh. Yeah 
Because, you know, that's what happens when coasters are new. They tend to, you know, break down. Right, right. And especially with, with Flight of Fear. I mean, that ride, you know, that ride's first season was, I mean, it, it opened like two months late. Yeah. And I know one thing, like when I start riding new coasters with our youngest, we like to talk for our way through the coasters with our daughter, like as we're getting to certain parts of the ride, like, oh, it's going to drop or it's going to turn or we're going to go, you know, this way or that way. So that way she kind of knows what to expect to give her that little bit of knowledge of what's going to happen before it does yeah that's really smart did your dad used to ever do that when you were riding in with him for the first time no, no. <laughs> we, just, we would just get on and go out so oh, he, he left like, you blindsided then yeah but i know it's kind of fun because like you know you don't really know what to expect and, and there's some fun in that but yeah that was those are fun times i still actually have my my picture from that first ride on banshee in 2014 so yeah banshee and diamondback but as soon as i as soon as i got off diamondback i'm like i can that was so much fun i'm like i can do any coaster well and i, I know i'm going off subject here but i have to ask and this is going to be like the one one that's probably going to get the irate people listening and yelling at us right now. What do you prefer, Diamondback or Orion? Definitely Orion. I love Diamond. Diamondback feels longer, but Orion does so much more. You know what I mean? Like I love both of them, but I, I Orion, it's just so much more dynamic, and I and I would give that ride the edge. Yeah, I agree. I love B and M's first of all because they they're so smooth. The only thing I will say is as they progress progressively get older, they tend to get that you know wonderful B and M rattle, and I've noticed that Diamondback is starting to get that, and that's the one thing that's making it a little bit uncomfortable to ride but Orion butter smooth right Right. now of course because it's so new right yeah I don't think Diamondbacks Diamondbacks rattle it's not that bad the one spot that's bad is coming out of the the hammerhead the turnaround that valley right there but other than that it's not I personally don't feel it's that bad I don't this is another tangent but all these if you ever, you know, online, all these enthusiasts are all like B&M rattle and they all act like it only applies to Kings Island, but Wild Eagle at Dollywood, that rattles, Val Raven at Cedar Point rattles, Gatekeeper at Cedar Point rattles. And it's not, I'm not complaining. Like for the most part, they aren't that bad. The only B&M rattle that can be really bad is Banshee, but I've had, I've had more good rides on that than bad. Fury gets a rattle. Oh, see, I have not ridden Fury yet. So. Oh, oh. I might be riding You, you gotta. Yeah, I might I might be taking a trip out there in a couple of weeks. I kind of still have to figure that out before I leave for college. So hopefully soon. It's high on my priority list. Yeah, my that is my number one coaster. That is my baby. It's Fury. I, right. I can marathon. I can marathon that thing all day. Yeah, I mean it looks awesome. It looks amazing. Oh, it is awesome. Especially the one thing I love about it is you have the buzz. The track literally buzzes or the car or the train buzzes as you're going through the track and it sounds like a hornet. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's and so then of cool. course, then you go into the hive. Oh my gosh. I'm like, I, you're giving me fury fever right now. Like I'm going to yeah. go ride right now so bad. Yeah, I haven't ridden in over a year because of COVID. Oh my gosh, right, because it didn't open at all last year. It never opened last year. I was there during their Christmas event, but Fury wasn't open. It wasn't open. So no. I, do know, I do know an interesting little tidbit about the, the Hive Dive. That was Matt Wee Matt's idea, who was the CEO of Cedar Fair at that time. And he said to Rob Decker, who was the head of planning and design at that time, he's like, why don't we make this ride go underground? So Rob made like a really rough sketch 
that turned into the hive dive, but Matt, we met, he like framed that sketch and, and had it in his office. It's so cool at night because they light the hive up in neon green lights. It's that really is, awesome. That is awesome. So going back to how you were feeling when you were getting ready to ride either Banshee or Diamondback, how'd you feel when you got off of either coaster? happy very very glad because like you know you conquer the fear in your mind you get off of a great ride so you just get so excited and you want to get right back i know in both of those cases with banshee and diamondback we went right back in line and rode it again did you guys do you remember if you had a long wait because i rode banshee the first weekend king's island open i had the sense to get fast lane passes that day because otherwise it was a five hour wait to ride banshee that day that's crazy yeah no with banshee it was a sunday in october and I think it was the, the third to last weekend that the park was open. Um, so we just walked right on. And then Diamondback, it was a Friday morning in August. And we got there right when it opened. So we were able to just walk right on. So we, we timed both of those really well. I, yeah. I, I live close enough to the park that timing is is typically on my side as far as Kings Island. Yeah, it, it amazes me how long Diamondback's line can get. I mean, it's a great ride. That's why. But that's one of the reasons I can't ride as much because it's so long. Banshee, on the other hand, it's been having very short waits lately. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Banshee's capacity is huge, too. And, and that plays a huge part. But yeah, no, Banshee's wait. And it, and it always moves. Banshee's, Banshee's line always moves very, very quickly, too, even if it has even if it has a longer line. Now, how did riding Banshee or Diamondback impact your life after riding them? Ban- uh, well, w- with Diamondback, Diamondback was, that was the moment that I got into roller coasters because I was like, you know, I was standing in the queue line and I was like, if I can ride this, if I like this, I can ride any roller coaster. So I rode Diamondback and I loved it. And I got off and I'm like, you know, that was the spark. And I was like, I love roller coasters. I want to ride all of them. So that turned me, that was the ride that turned me into a coaster enthusiast. Definitely. That, that special place in your heart is for Diamondback, huh? Yes, for sure. Yep. So that's the ride that got me into an, to be an enthusiast. And also my first hypercoaster too. Pretty special ride for me. Now, have you ridden other hypercoasters since? Yes, I've ridden uh, the big one at Blackpool Pleasure Beach, um, which is terrible. That is not a good ride. The park, Blackpool Pleasure Beach is a wonderful park, very interesting park, but the big one is a terrible ride. And I also have ridden Magnum XL 200 at Cedar Point, which I enjoy. People, I don't think it's the greatest ride ever built, but it's fun. And it certainly has a place in history, that's for sure. And if, if you count, you know, if you count like Steel Vengeance and Valrave, and if those count as hypercoasters to you, you know, I've ridden those ones as well. Have you been to any of the other Cedar Fair Park? Just Cedar Point, but that might be changing because like I said, I'm I'm trying to figure out plans before I, I move into college on August 17th. I'm trying to figure out something. So hopefully I'll be able to expand my horizons a little bit. So I've been to a lot of other parks. I've been to the Disney parks. I've been to Dollywood. I've been to uh, Maury's Piers. I've been to Gillian's Wonderland Pier in New Jersey. I've been to Knoebels. I've been to Blackpool Pleasure Beach. That's pretty much, but yeah, the only other Cedar Fair Park I've been to at the moment is Cedar Point. But like I said, trying to change that. Well, I highly recommend going to Carowinds. Not only do they have the best Giga Coaster because, you know, it's Fury. Their lineup is amazing for one thing. I love their Hyper Coaster. I love Intimidator. In fact, I prefer Intimidator to I-305, which is at Kings Dominion. Right. And then 
their mock ride copperhead strike is awesome too just the the airtime and how you feel with just feel like you're falling out of your seat and my favorite inverted coaster is there which is afterburn i mean the park is, is just amazing for all enthusiasts because it just has a unique selection of rides and their water park is really nice too i love uh carolina harbor yeah it, it looks like a really nice park i'll tell you what i mean that is probably that's probably like the one park that i want to get to more than any others copperhead strike i mean obviously fury i'm really interested in intimidator i'm really interested in copperhead strike i'm really interested in too because i rode the 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 other uh mock i've ridden another mock uh launched coaster the one at blackpool pleasure beach is called icon and I rode that the year that that was new. I rode it and it was really fun. I got off and like that would fit really well at Kings Island. Right after that, two months later, they announced Copperhead Strike. That layout looks even better than Icon. So I really want to I really want to come out and ride Copperhead Strike. You've never been to uh, Silver Dollar City then and rode Time Traveler, right? No, no, I have not been to Silver Dollar City yet. I highly recommend taking a trip out west and riding that too. That's an, another good mock coaster too. But, you know, I was thinking, and I've told several people that we're vortex was that would be a very ideal location for a mock coaster oh i agree i think that would fit very very well in that spot i think yeah i think that's that's probably like my number one choice as far as you know what i personally you know would like to see vortex replaced by you know i think that that is a ride you know and again just going off of icon but further you know a, a strengthening that layout i think that you could do a lot of really really cool things with that ride in that spot with the terrain. Yeah, and that's the other thing too. I don't know if you've ever looked at the layout of Time Traveler. It's very similar with the Ozark Mountains, you know, being incorporated with a lot of Silver Dollar City's rides. It would apply to Kings Island too, because the terrain is kind of mountainy, not not as much as mountains, but you know, and and the fact that they work with that for Time Traveler, that would indicate that Mock could easily do that for Kings Island. Yeah, definitely. I think there's, I, I think that there's a lot of interesting possibilities for that plot of land for sure. It, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how that develops. But that being said, I would not hold your breath because I don't, it's not going to happen very, very soon. You know, the, the part does not have anything on the drawing boards right now for that. Oh no, they just got Orion. That's why. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and, and there are other areas of the park that the park wants to do stuff in before they come back. Cause that, that section just got antique cars. 2019. So the park wants to uh, hit Planet Snoopy and Soak City next before coming back to Coney Mall. Now, I wonder if they're eventually going to do something with their entrance, because if you think about it, a lot of the Cedar Fair Park have redone their original entrances and at, or it's added a, a new one. And then their older one was like a secondary entrance. You know, I think that it's about time Kings Island gets a new entrance. Yeah, I think that there is... They, they can definitely do something with that building. What Cedar Fair's done to their entrances, Cedar Point is my, my point of reference, and all four of their entrances have been redone in the past 10 years, and those all look great. My thing with redoing Kings Island's entrance is, is some people want, well, the ones at Cedar Point, they are, the entrances are very open. Kings Island, our gate was specifically designed so that you come underneath, you know, they take your ticket, they scan your pass, and it's designed to be very low ceiling so that you don't really know what you're coming into. And you come out from underneath and International Street opens up and it's like, wow, as long as they keep, you know, I'm all for renovating the front gate. You know, like I said, I think it definitely needs an update, but they really do need to keep that design aspect of it because that's really one of the cornerstones that Gary walks 
uh, you know, the, the, of, of his vision for the park. Oh, I agree. And, you know, you could, I'm not a fan of Invertigo, so mm-hmm. I'd be perfectly yeah. fine if Invertigo went away and you put a new coaster up above the gate. Like I said, give it a fresh, fresher look. Right. Well, I mean, you know, my, my pipe dream, my pipe dream is that they take out Invertigo, Congo Falls, and Timberwolf, you know, that would be a really good spot for a dive coaster with the the dive facing out towards, because, you know, you walk in and you have the dive facing out this way and it goes underneath the midway where you're coming in and it comes out and the Immelman perfectly frames the Eiffel Tower. That'd be pretty cool. Like I said, that would be cool. Not realistic. I don't know, but that is my pipe dreams. That that is something that I think would be cool. You know, you you need to go to school to be an engineer so you can design that coaster than ever. Uh, math is not my strong suit. So let's just <laughs> I have a lot of ideas. I'm definitely not the the engineer. You know what I mean? I would have the ideas that I pass off to the engineers to make it happen. That'd be okay. You can design it. Someone else can build it. It's okay. Yeah, exactly. But going back to Karen's, definitely ride the hurler. Do not skip hurler. It's a good coaster. No matter what anybody says, it's a good coaster. Okay, right. Yeah. I mean, and and that'd be interesting because before they RMC it or, you know, who knows, you know, who knows? Who knows how much time that ride has left? Hopefully a long time, if you like. If it's a good ride, you know, hopefully it has a long time left. They just retract a bunch of it, not last year, but the year before. Okay. So it's, it yeah, probably. so it's a lot better. I don't think they're going to do a Twisted Timbers to it yet. Okay, so I still I still have some time to, to get You still it. have some time. Yeah, David, I know, likes Fury and Carowinds because he uh, got a chance to ride Fury with our friend Andrew, who's actually the other producer as his 325th coaster. So that was cool that David got a chance to experience that with Andrew. That is awesome. Fury is my number one giga coaster, although my first giga coaster was Millennium Force over at Cedar Point. So that coaster will always have a special place in my heart. Orion, I don't know if you realize, but I was the first writer on Orion when it opened last year. I was there at the event and I just love that coaster. I've written all except Leviathan over at Canada's Wonderland. I need to get up to Canada so I can say I've written all giga coasters in North America. Orion is definitely very unique, very special, very smooth ride. I like how it gets hidden toward the back of the force of the park. It almost like the beasts, like when you ride the beast at night, you're deep in the, <laughs> that's one heck of a night ride I enjoy when I go to Kings Islands. Yeah, Carowinds is a very beautiful park, but I will tell you that the one Cedar Fair Park you really need to go and it's celebrating its 100th anniversary right now is Knott's Berry Farm in Buena Park, in my home park. It is, I will say out of all, I've been almost every Cedar Fair Park except Valley Fair, Dorney, and Michigan's uh, Venture. Knott's Berry Farm doesn't really feel like a Cedar Fair Park when you walk through the gates. It still keeps the tradition that the park has had for over 100 years. Uh, Its ghost town is some of the original buildings back into the 1920s. Just the feel of that park is amazing just you feel like you can feel like the old school experience that you see yeah that is definitely an experience you need to experience in when you ever come out to the west coast seven you need to go to Knott's Berry Farm yes I would love I would love to get out to Knott's Berry Farm because that just I mean it just seems like such an interesting part you know it's right up my alley all the history the charm the theming and hey it looks like it has a great coaster collection too 
So cherry on top. It has. It's been one of my first coaster collection. First, like it was my first B&M invert experience. It was my first extreme accelerator <laughs> launch coaster experience. Uh, my first motorbike experience with the Pony Express. My first GCI Woody. You know, I was like, they have a really good, and they have a few historical, like Montezuma's Revenge. It was just been made a historical landmark by the American coaster enthusiasts. And that's uh, still... It's an old ride, but it's still fun to ride. Yeah, that park, just, that's the one thing I, I guess I'm so intrigued is that you're right. I, I love history of a park. Knott's is just full of it when you walk all the way around the park. I will say that it was the accelerator at Knott's that turned me into an enthusiast. California Screaming at Disney's California Adventure helped me break my fears and got me to love roller coasters. But it was accelerator at Knott's that turned me into an enthusiast. And I am so proud that, uh, and Cedar Point was the first park I ventured out in 2017. And then when I got to Kings Island, because Kings Island was always on my radar. And I, I just love going to that park. I actually enjoy going to Kings Island more than Cedar Point sometimes. It's mainly because of the atmosphere. It has a complete different atmosphere from Cedar Point. I just feel like it is, like we said off the air, I'll say it on the air. I call Kings Island the coaster enthusiast capital of the world because almost every coaster enthusiast that's like our hangout spot is king's island and i just love it yeah it is it's it's a very special place cedar point i i agree with you somewhat i think cedar point is the it is the better park when you're just looking at the park itself uh, you know as a as a king's island employee you know i can say that we have our act together more than Cedar Point does. <laughs> so. I agree with you on that. Totally. <laughs> I, I will say that I'm similar to David. There's only so many Cedar Fair parks I have not been to. I have not been to Valley Fair. I've not been to Michigan's Adventure. I unfortunately have not been out to California, so I've not been to California Great America or to Knott's, but with all the Cedar Fair parks I have been to, my three, I'm going to say three, there are three I love, Keynes Island, Carowinds, and Canada's Wonderland. Those three, hospitality is the best, employees, top notch, and just the whole atmosphere just makes you feel like you're at home, which is weird that they're all three of my favorite ones used to be Paramount Parks. Right. So I highly recommend going to definitely Carowinds. And if you ever get a chance, Canada's Wonderland is not too far away from Ohio. I was just telling David off air. It's only about from, I live in Northern Ohio and it takes me about six hours to get to Canada's Wonderland. Yeah. And I mean, Toronto is such an awesome city. I was just up there. I was up there for a, um, a school trip basically last February. Like literally it was exactly one month before everything went into lockdown. And I just loved Toronto. It is such a cool city. So I really hope now that the border has reopened, really, really hoping to get back up there to Toronto so that I can get to Canada's Wonderland because obviously I'm, I'm there in February. It is very, very cold. Let's just put it that way. So yeah, I really want to get back to Toronto so that I can be back in Toronto and Canada's Wonderland is a nice bonus. I don't think they've opened the border yet. I think it's not until August. I think, I, yeah, I was about to say, I think they're opening the border. Yeah. Canada's Wonderland don't I we're actually getting a chance to interview Grace Peacock from Canada's Wonderland coming up soon and I'm very much looking forward to talking to her she's one of my favorite PR people 
besides Don Helbiga and Chad Showalter. I love those two too, by the way. Canada's Wonderland. I love Behemoth. Their hypercoaster is actually my number one hypercoaster of all. I love it more than I did their giga coaster, Leviathan. And see, that's so interesting. I've heard that from a couple people. You know, you look around online and, and that seems to be a very common opinion. It's like, you know, Behemoth is so much better than Leviathan. So yeah, I'm very interested. And they are celebrating their 40th anniversary this year. Yes, yes, they have their anniversary year this year too. And the other thing is they have a lot of unique different rides up there that a lot of the Cedar Fair parks don't. They have the Time Warp, which is a little flyer thing, but it's not like, your normal flyer like Firehawk or Nighthawk. It was a little bit different. And I also love the Guardians of the Mountain ride. And I'm not going to, there's, it's a really cool ride. I don't know if you've heard about what mm-hmm. goes on with it. And I'm not spoiling it for anybody else, but it's, it's, the park is, is fabulous. Yeah. That's definitely a park that Cedar Fair definitely takes care of. Yes. Sure. Is what it's, again, what it seems like. And Yukon Striker is so much better than Bell Raven. Sorry to your point. Every, everybody says that. <laughs> I was <laughs> sorry. I, I believe it. I definitely want to go out there and ride. Yeah, I was, I was fortunate. I got to ride Yukon Striker for media day and awesome. got a good chance to go up there and ride it for the first time before it opened to the public. That's awesome. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. What a great opportunity that you had. Yeah. Uh, the best thing about where you do the dive is you look straight into water. It's not like Val Raven where you're like, oh, there's yeah. track or there's a midway. It's you go looking down into water. That's awesome. That's so cool. Yeah, definitely. Definitely go up there. So I'm sure you have a lot of crazy moments or situations that you've had either on a coaster or at a theme park. Would you like to share with us what is your craziest moment you've had on a coaster? There have been some crazy things that have happened at Kings Island uh, while I've been working there, but they always happen whenever I'm not there. I think the craziest thing that ever happened was last year, I was at marching band practice and all of a sudden my phone just started going off. I, I Something strange was going on because I noticed all these helicopters in the sky and they were all flying towards Kings Island. And I'm like, something strange is going on. And my phone started lighting up with the group chat of the employees where I work at, at Emporium. And they're all like, there's an active shooter. We are sheltering in place. We're scared for our lives. I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm like, this is crazy. Well, what had happened was some guy, he was like a carjacker. He'd stolen a car. Maybe you heard about this on the news. He stole a car and crashed it in front of, he crashed on the highway in front of the uh, entrance sign, the, the, the Kings Island sign. He fled the car on foot and jumped over the fence and was hiding. He, he was, he had a gun on him. He jumped over the fence into the, like the train area and he was like hiding in the water park. So they had to put the park on lockdown to find him. That was definitely the craziest thing that, that has happened to the park while I've been working there, but I was not working that day. I was at marching band camp. And then earlier this year, there were a whole bunch of fights. That was a night that I had off. Yeah, because that was right before my high school graduation. So yeah, I wasn't working that night. And then two years ago where I worked, Emporium, it actually flooded. And I came in, I'm like, you know, how was yesterday? Oh, Emporium flooded. Because this is, it was raining. It had been raining a ton. I said, oh, like, you mean like puddles? They're like, no, it was ankle deep. I was like, that is very crazy. So that, other than that, I haven't really had, like, working. I, I Like, 
you know, Emporium, it doesn't really get, it's not crazy. You know what I mean? Cause like merchandise, you know, you got funny questions and stuff, but you don't really get many like crazy things. I will tell you my brother works in food service. He works at the Miami river brew house and he has actually insane things happening. He had a couple the other day, I think it was last week, they brought in a dog in a baby carriage. And this was not a service animal because they told him that they told him how they smuggled it into the park. They fed the dog tater tots and let the dog run around the restaurant. That is... (laughs) crazy. But like I said, I was not there to witness it, but I believe my brother. Now you said that you've had some crazy questions at at the Emporium. So what's your craziest question a guest has asked you? Craziest question a guest has asked me was actually a couple weeks ago. And this woman came in, she said, how do you pronounce the name of your newest ride? And I get that question every day. I said, it's Orion. I said, it's just like the constellation. Oh, that's a constellation? I said, yup, it's been in the sky for millions of years. It's, yeah, Greek mythology, thousands of years old, Orion. And she said, are you sure that that's a constellation and not a dipper? I was like, I'm sure. Like, aren't, I thought the dippers, I thought they were constellations. So yeah, that was definitely the most, that's only the strangest question I've gotten. Yes, for those that don't know constellations, we have Big and Little Dipper are constellations, people. Yes, but I just (laughs) thought it was strange that she had never even heard of Orion. Like she didn't know, you know, she didn't know, you know, I get people that don't know how it's pronounced all the time, but you know, she didn't even know that was a constellation. So I thought that was pretty funny. And what's unique about the constellation and the ride is I love how we've, as enthusiasts, we kind of have nicknamed that little helix on, it's not really a little helix, but the helix on the coaster as Orion's belt, because that's one thing that's significant to the constellation. Right. Yeah. I think that's a really cool aspect too, but it's funny. I mean, that name, that ride, the naming process for that ride took a long time. Like the the name Orion was not finalized until May 1st of 2019. And that is very, very, very late for a new coaster. Do you know what other names they had thrown out for the coaster? Yes. Initially, when they when they first started talking about it, they actually started thinking about birds because it's like with Diamondback and Snake and with Orion, it's like, you know, looking at that layout, you know, what they were thinking was it was like a bird swooping down, like hunting its prey, like swooping, you know, diving down and swooping over the valley, hunting its prey. So they were thinking uh, falcon, griffin, eagle, but ultimately there are so many other coasters in the world that are named Griffin, Falcon, Eagle, and they wanted something more unique to Kings Island. Mike Coombs, the general manager, he started looking into Greek mythology and there are so many other Greek mythology named rides. And one day he was talking with Rob Decker. Rob says, instead of having this big coaster shoved in a corner called the Falcon, why don't we make it all work together? You know, let's, let's make it work with Flight of Fear. You know, let's, let's make it work together. And so Mike came back in October of 18 um, was when this was happening. In October 2018, he pitched to Rob two names. He pitched Orion and he pitched Polaris. And what Mike was thinking with Orion in particular is that, you know, Orion is the most prominent constellation in the sky. This it was going to be our most prominent coaster. And there's still this semblance of this, you know, this bird hunting its prey in mythology, Orion is the great hunter. So Mike came up with both of those names and he pitched that to Rob. And then Rob pitched both of those to like corporate, like Richard Zimmerman, our CEO, Tim Fisher, our COO. You know, the trademark process took a very, very long time for those two names to work their way through the trademarking system. So it wasn't until May 1st of 2019 that it was like, okay, 
we're going to go with Orion. I think they made the wiser choice going with Orion than Polaris because I'm just taking Polaris fashion while I don't know why. It's, but... No, it is exactly <laughs> the same. It is exactly the same because I, I, my, I have cousins and grandparents that live in Delaware, Ohio, right down the street from Polaris. So as soon as both of those names popped up with the trademarks and I'm like, please let it be Orion because Polaris, I'm, ex- I'm in the same boat as you, Iva. I'm like, all I'm going to think about is the mall. Yeah, you can tell you're from Ohio if you know where Polaris, like it's a mall, <laughs> it's not a coaster. Exactly. You're totally right. Yeah, I don't want any more bird coasters. You got Val Raven, exactly. you got Talon. We don't need another bird. We need right. something. We need something creative. Exactly. You know, Ryan is de- Ryan is definitely creative. Exactly. I mean, you know, again, like the thing with the birds is like, you know, there's so many other rides with that name, but there are no other roller coasters named Orion. Get to get to be unique on that. Yeah. I also and feel like the- I also feel like that area where Orion's at with Flight of Fear, the whole theming comes together, and I love what they've done to upgrade the theming, especially with the uh, meteor that crashed into the ground by Flight of Fear. I thought that was pretty pretty good touch what they did there and uh so yeah i think having that area be dedicated i call like the sci-fi area which is really really cool yeah they did a great job daniels woodland did an awesome job producing that theming designing it and then actually covid actually there was a chance for cedar fair's planning and design team to come in take the theming to another level because there were there were a lot of holes you know that had been left and it's like it's like you know we're not just theming a coaster you know, we're, we're building a new land. And so there were a lot of holes that Daniel's Woodland had left. And, and so planning and design, they were able to, to do a lot more with that area. And I think really take it up to the next level. It's just, it, it, it's wonderful. It really comes together. And the cohesiveness, I think, really comes out very, very well now. Because before it was like, but fear, Firehawk, it's like, why are these back here? And it's like, you know, here is why this place exists. Here's why it's here. You know, here's this relationship to King's Island. It not only works together, but it works with the rest of the park versus just being like this weird back alley. And you're like, why is this here? And it's like, this is why it's here at King's Island. They did a nice job with that. Yeah. And I love how they use some of the aspects from Firehawk that had been left behind, like with the footers and made it into little uh, landmarks too for Orion. And plus Flight of Fear got a facelift too. There was a lot of TLC that Flight of Fear finally got like the on-ride photos finally Mm -hmm. came back. And those have been down for a while. Yes. Actually, here's here's an interesting tidbit. So Flight of Fear is is initially all, all that was going to be done to that was just the facade work. The meteor, the security van, the damage to the building, and then like the the new wall they added to the entrance and the new queue. That was all that Flight of Fear was going to be if Orion had opened on time. Um, But then with COVID and planning and design, uh, you know, led by, if you've ever heard of the name of Paul Bonifield, he works for planning and design. And and he was the one that came down, kind of raised the alarm and said, we really need to work more on this. There was, they, they didn't, they had not done, they were not originally going to do anything on the inside of Flight of Fear at all. Paul is like, you know, we have to make this work with Orion. You know, this has to be as much of a star in Area 72 as Orion is. And so he was able to add uh, more signs and stuff inside of the ride. And then actually the biggest thing is the on-ride, what what opened when the ride opened, what was the on-ride photo booth. So they were going to bring the on-ride photo back before COVID, but it was just going to be that little kiosk. The on-ride photo booth, as you, as you probably remember, has been closed for years and years and years. It was just a storage space with the big curtain. Daniel's Woodland, you, they were planning on, on keeping it that way. Paul said, this is crazy. He said to the park, you know, to King's Island, he's like, this is crazy. You know, a lot of more people are gonna be riding Flight of Fear with Orion. 
we can't just have them walk past just this blocked off storage space. And so he was able to get his, the entertainment department at King's Island actually has a decor team that does Haunt and Winterfest. Paul was able to add a bunch more theming into that and really activate that space. Some really, again, I hate to say COVID was great. Obviously it was not, but there were certainly positives that came out of COVID. Yeah, it, d- it gave them that little bit of extra time to give it that extra oomph exactly. before, op- before opening. Yeah, yeah, it really did. I mean, there, there's, it's amazing. The budget for that, what was it? Like three month period, four month period to add stuff. Their budget was in the yeah, it was it was a three figure budget. They were really able to all the credit to Paul Bonifield, really, he was really able to make that work and really take it over the top and really deliver. Yeah. And I, I hate to say it, but I would have hated to see a bird coaster get replaced by another bird coaster. I'm sorry. <laughs> I agree. Actually, here is while we're on the topic of theming, here is a little bit of tidbit for you. So currently with Orion, you know how in the storyline is called the Orion sequence, like the testing that's mm-hmm. going on. If the ride would have been called Falcon. Falcon, it would have been called the Paragon Project. I like the I like the Orion sequence better. Yeah, me too. <laughs> a little bit of tidbit, so a little bit of trivia for you there. Hey, I'm loving all this insider stuff because I mean, this is stuff that you don't get to hear when they're opening a new coaster. Yeah, I know. It's just very much here is you know here's the height, here's the length, you know here's where it's going to go. There's really never any of the whys. And, and that's one of the things that you know, I, I really tried to do with my book is, you know, it's all about the whys of everything in the house. Yeah, those are the things that are always missed. And then you're like, and then, you know, it's great to have that in depth too, that people can start, you know, looking back and say, why, why was this created, you know, or why was it named this? There's always, there's always a reason, always a reason for the why, for the why. And there's always a story and there's always people behind it. You know, that's one of the things that's so important. There are so many people that have done so much for King's Island. They've never been recognized for it. That's one of the things by interviewing, you know, 41 people, uh, 41 executives from throughout the history of the park is, you know, I thought, you know, let's give these people you know, the credit that they deserve. Yeah, it's always the little people that make the big difference, definitely. Just like you. Well, thank you. I mean, I haven't haven't done that much with the park. I mean, obviously, I mean, the book and but as far as my job, I made Emporium look nice. I make it look nice every day. So <laughs> there you go. That's my my little impact. I'm sure you have made somebody's day working there at least multiple times. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's oh my gosh, I love it. This year, having like little kids come in and they're like, I've never met an author before. Yeah, I've had people that tell that this made their day and I mean that just that just means so much to me you know what I mean like that just really I don't know it just makes my day it's just so amazing to hear that you know that that writing this book has has helped inspire you know I've, I've had people that have, have I've had kids that come in and they're like you you're an inspiration to me like I'm writing a book and you are just so inspirational to me that that you had this vision and you're able to execute it and you were able to publish this book. And like, that is just so amazing to me because like, I feel like, like as a kid, like you're not really told, like they're always like, you're going to do great things. You're going to do great things. Well, kids can do great things. You don't have to wait. You don't have to wait to be older to, to start doing really cool things. And, and everybody, and, and everybody thinks that like kids, like they can't really do it as good as adults. You know, I think I did a pretty good job with this book. So, so that's one of the things is that I hope that people take away that kids can do really cool stuff. You know, young people can accomplish really great things. Yeah, all it takes is someone to motivate you. And, you know, that's the one thing that 
motivates me is when I have because I have a pod or not a podcast, but I am a coaster vlogger and I have my own page Wildcat Coasters. And when I've had people come up to me and like, oh my gosh, I follow you. Are you really Wildcat? I'm like, yeah, that makes me feel good. And I know it makes David feel good when he, you know, thinks he's a celebrity at King's Island and has people coming up to him. But it's the fact that we have touched people's lives through our interests and hobbies like Coaster Challenge or Wildcat or your book. Yeah, that's that's just so meaningful. It's just, oh, it just it's just such a crazy, it's just such an amazing feeling. It really is. Yeah, th- we all have that connection of love of coasters, obviously. And that's what that's what makes us a family. And that's what I always tell everybody is when you meet other enthusiasts, we're, it's like a big family reunion. Yeah, that's for sure. That is for sure. So speaking of family reunions, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to, we're all going to have that, that issue of what coaster is your favorite and everything. That's always the big debate because, you know, you got your steel vengeance and you got your fury and all that. What's your favorite coaster? My favorite coaster is steel vengeance. So I know that's like the vanilla choice. I've never ridden a better coaster. So I know some people, you know, some people are very, you know, die hard, you know, lightning, you know, there are a lot of people who think that lightning rod is better than steel vengeance. And I rode lightning rod in March and I thought it was fun. I thought it was the best ride at Dollywood, but I would even take Orion over lightning rod. You know what I mean? So steel did you Ven- ride lightning rod before it got retracted? No, no, this, no is my, okay. this is my first time riding it. So, but steel vengeance, I think it's going to be my number one for a long time. Yeah, Steel Vengeance is definitely my number one RMC. I, I still love my Fury, and I, I hope that your mind's going to get changed once you ride it. Hopefully, yeah, if you go down. Definitely. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So, like I said, hopefully, I'm still still trying to negotiate and figure out plans for that. So, but hopefully soon. With the, oh, Steel Vengeance being your favorite one, what's your least favorite coaster, Evan? Least favorite coaster? That's a good question. Um, I do not like Corkscrew at Cedar Point. That's not a good I I would just say probably my least favorite is the big one at Blackpool Pleasure Beach because that's a ride that is just so pointless. Like, it just does not do anything. Like, it's rough and it doesn't do anything. So it, it's just a pointless ride. So, yeah. But Corkscrew is painful, though. So it's like, the, the big one is rough, but it's not, like, painfully rough. You know, so it's like, you know, Corkscrew is bad. Vortex was a terrible ride at King's Island. It was wonderful to watch. You know, I very much miss having that ride in the park to watch, you know, to hear it. But that was an absolutely terrible, terrible roller coaster to ride. So it's like, you know, do you like painful or like very, very pointless? You know what I mean? Like, which one is worse? I think I would almost do the pointless compared to the painful because it's funny that both coasters you've named are arrow coasters and I'm not mocking arrow because they do have some really good coasters and they're not all painful because I just recently went to Bush Gardens Williamsburg and I absolutely loved Loch Ness Monster. I loved Nessie and that surprised me because it's an old arrow and I've ridden Corkscrew. I've ridden Vortex and Carolina Cyclone and all them and Loch Ness it wasn't it wasn't rough at all you can tell that bush gardens definitely keeps up with the maintenance on nessie yeah and i mean like tennessee tornado at dollywood amazing oh that is oh no i can't do tennessee really yeah oh no baby you shush i love i love that i I wrote it in march and i was like oh my gosh i'm like that is amazing 
because, you know, the drop is just as, you know, the one redeeming factor of Vortex on the actual ride was the drop. And Tennessee Tornado also has a wonderful drop, feels just like Vortex's, and the rest of the ride is super, super smooth, I feel. So, yeah, Tennessee Tornado, yeah, no, I, yeah, Arrow, yeah, Arrow is, Vortex is terrible, Corsica is terrible, Big One is an Arrow, that's terrible. Megan is fine. I love Adventure Express, I love the bat. Um, I love Gemini, love Tennessee Tornadoes, Arrow, they can be uh, very hit or miss. Some of their rides did not age well at all. Some of them age great. Now, let's talk about your book a little bit. I know we have been talking about it uh, on and off here during the uh, coaster questions, but what gave you the inspiration to write a book dedicated to King's Island's history? Yeah, I, you know, as I've said before, you know, I work at King's Island in merchandise and I have been there. um, This is my fifth season, actually, in merchandise. One of the questions that I got the most from guests coming in was, do you sell any books about the history of King's Island? Not only did we not sell any books about King's Island's history, but nobody had ever even written one up to that point. So I heard that from so many people. I'm like, all right. I'm like, I'll give, you know, I'll give the guests what they want. And then, you know, also, you know, just growing up and going there and you go there and you wonder, you know, why is this, you know, this way? And, you know, why is this like that way? And I knew that there's, there's more to the history of this park than a Wikipedia article of like, that's right open this year and this right open this year. And, you know, there has to be more to it than that. So I was very interested. I was very interested in the people that have, you know, made the park into what it is. So I decided to write King's Island a ride through time. And I, I interviewed 41 executives from throughout the entire history of the park, spanning the park's inception all the way up to the present day. So this book really tells inside story of King's Island from the past, you know, to the present and, you know, maybe a little bit of the future in there as well. Yeah. And I loved how you gave a, a throwback to to what it was even before Keen's Island was thought of, which was, you know, Coney Island. You right. talked about Coney Island at the beginning of the book too. And not many people understand that Keen's Island's roots came from Coney Island. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the thing that I kind of sat down and started thinking more about the book is, you know, this book is the biography of a place, you know? And so you have to start from the, the beginning. You, you can't tell the beginning of Kings Island without telling the story before the story. And the story before the story is Coney Island. Like you said, you know, we sprang out of Coney Island. And so the reader, you know, has to understand Coney, you know, before they understand Kings Island. So that was a very natural decision to have that be just the prologue, just to get a little bit of background information, just some cursory information on Coney Island before we really start our discussion about Kings Island. And I love to how Kings Island has a section of the park, of course, Coney Island dedicated because of that significance to its roots. Yeah, exactly. I think that's one of the great things is that it's such a history mind park and such a community-minded park. And so that was very, very natural when they were planning this park to do a Coney Island section. I mean, Coney Island is a park hard to imagine nowadays, you know, with, with the with the land there now, but Coney Island was America's finest traditional amusement park. And it was so beloved by its community. Everybody had memories at this park. So it was very, you know, it was very, you know, it was a very um, easy decision for Gary Walks to say, you know, let's do, you know, a Coney Island session, you know, Coney Island, but but Coney, you know, a, a romanticized version of the past. So Coney Island in the 1920s. So, and then of course that decision allowed them to include the racer, which reignited uh, the, the, you know, the, the art of the roller coaster really, you know, as well as including games, you know, that, dis- you know, games were very, very popular at Coney Island. None of the modern theme parks that were being built at that time had games because that was sinful. That was the image of the old traditional 
Carney amusement park that the industry was trying to move away from. Well, you know, the games made a lot of money. And so by theming this section to Old Coney Island, guess what you could have? You could have those games. We were, I think, the first theme park to actually have games. Yeah, they have some games that are just significant. I don't, to Kings Island, I don't, I can't remember the names of them, but because they are, like you said, they're the ones, the first park that kind of started like the game section. That's why. Yeah, right. And I mean, I mean, there were other parks, you know, Cedar Point has always had a huge game section, but you know, they're an amusement park, you know, they're from 1870. Kings Island was the first, you know, modern theme park you know the six flags parks you know because at the time really the theme park industry was disneyland walt disney world the magic kingdom and then six flags over texas six flags over georgia six flags over mid-america and then king's island and you know the disney parks didn't have games the six flags parks didn't have games but we did and let's face it with cedar point it's more of the arcade aspect of the games not really the midway games that king's island has right exactly and like you know that that midway aspect so iconic to Coney Island you know they're able to bring that that essence that spirit and still continue at, up at King's Island you know it's very special you know the continuation of a Cincinnati tradition and also the other thing that was nice that they got to transport rides some of the original rides from Coney Island to King's Island too so that way families could still enjoy them yeah and, and exactly so it's like the memories that you know grandparents made at Coney Island on these rides you know they're able to share with their grandkids at King's Island on those rides. So I think that's very special. Some you know, ride removals, you know, have involved those rides, you know, like the tumble bug, you know, that was a 1925 ride that was removed in 1985. It was actually it was the cars that were relocated to Kings Island, the track actually was actually left at the Coney Island site. So the track everybody says, yeah, and, and this is this is a subject all, all of its own ride opening dates, they kind of get a little fuzzy, because like I said, the tumble bug, everybody says, you know, that's the oldest ride that Kings Island has ever had. But it's like, it wasn't the whole ride was from 1925. You know, just the cars were. Yeah, the track was from 1972. So it's like, what do you really classify that as? So that's an interesting discussion all on its own. But it's like, you know, that was a ride that that had so many memories. And then you know, that probably was not great decision to remove that in 1985. Again, all these decisions are, you know, right at that moment in time. But looking back on it, it's like, you know, I, I wish they could have kept that, you know. But then of course you have the carousel, you know, from 1926. You know, this year celebrating its 95th anniversary park has been able to keep that they've maintained it wonderfully uh, other than the organ hopefully they'll, they'll be able to, i've not heard that organ play since 2018 you know, hopefully they'll be able to restore that soon um cedar point did a wonderful restoration of their carousel organ last year so hopefully we see that trickle down to king's island but other than that the actual carousel itself wonderfully preserved wonderfully maintained and again that's yeah that's probably been host to gosh four or five generations of cincinnatians and people visiting those parks so that's the kind of thing that is, you know, just very, very special. Now, what kind of research did you do when you started writing the book and how long did you spend researching before you began the book? Yes, that's a good question. Researching the big thing was the interviews. So I was able to connect with, you know, 41 individuals who have been instrumental and have shaped the park, you know, through the years, through their visions and through what they have done. I, let's see here. So I started in January of 2019 was when I started this. Then I started actually 
writing the book in May of 2019. So I started writing it on Memorial Day weekend of 2019 because originally when I first started and I had never really written a book like this before, you know, I've done like books and quotation marks, like passion projects, nothing like this. And so I'm like, I was so used to, I had done a, a newspaper class in eighth grade and, you know, with newspaper writing, you don't really write the story until after you have all your interviews done. And so initially I'm thinking like, you know, I'll wait to write it until after all the interviews are done. It's like, if I wait until I have all the interviews done, this is going to like, <laughs> this is going to take forever. You know what I mean? So I started writing it in May of 19. And then as I did more interviews, I was able to format those interviews into what, what I already wrote and adapt what I already wrote and adapt that so that the interviews, they're, they're, they come very, very naturally into the book. So into the, the structure of the text. Now, how long did the actual project take to complete? This, this is an interesting question because I kind of, it kind of stopped and then started and then stopped and then started and then stopped again. Initially, I wanted this book. I don't think I've said this anywhere else, but initially I was, I was, when I, when I first had this idea of the book, I was like, I want this out in 2022, you know, the 50th anniversary, but I'll get started on it now. So I started in 2019 and then things started moving a lot faster than I thought. I'm like, you know, I, and then, you know, permits started being filed. Obvious that King's Island was getting a giga coaster next year. So I'm like, I could, I could have this book done in a year probably. So I started right. So I started doing the researching in January of 19 and then signed a contract with a publisher in October of 19 for a May 2020 release. And the deadline was March 1st, 2020. So that first period was January. I think it was January 8th of 2019 to March 1st, 2020. And then COVID happened. Publisher is like, you know, you, you know, if you want, you you can have a little bit more time to work on it. And I was not happy with how the book had turned out. And I seized the opportunity. And so then I started working on it again. Let's see here. April the 7th of 2020, I think was when I restarted it. That was April 7th to May 1st of 2020. So a little bit under a month. And then May 1st of 2020 was when I sent my my final, you know, I my my previous final. And now here's my new final manuscript. Sent that in. And then it was the waiting game. And it was like, you know, May 2020 turned into late spring 2020. And that turned into early summer 2020. And then that turned into, um, you'll get a proofread copy of your book the last week of August. And the book will come out in September 2020. September 1st hit. And I had not heard anything. I'm like, what's going on? And they're like, well, you know, our books are not selling too well. You know, we are putting all of our current projects, we're tabling all of them, putting all of them on hold. And I'm like, uh, that's not good. And, you know, eventually they're like, you know, we don't really have any interest in this anymore. You're going to have to find a new publisher. Then I was able to find Barry Hill, actually, just a couple days afterwards. I was talking to you guys before we went on air, but I'll just say it again for all the listeners. Barry wrote a great book, Imagineering an American Dreamscape. And it's all about the history of regional theme parks in America in general. And I emailed him and it's a great book and very similar subject matters. And I emailed Barry. I said, what is your advice on getting books published? Because I have this book that I already wrote. The publisher just pulled out on me, you know, last minute. And he's like, well, I have the resources to publish books. Like I am my own publisher. Send me your manuscript and I'll let you know what I think. And the snowball started rolling. Contract was signed and Barry, 
you know, gave me, he, he, he knew what this book needed to be. And he really understood where I was coming from. And, and he gave me three extra months to work on the book. So then this next period was September 2020 until January 1st of 2021. So then the, then, you know, the next four months, because the book came out April 15th, 21. So the next four months were finalizing everything. You know, we, we went back and forth a bunch of times trying to nail down, you know, what, what the book was going to be with the format you know, what was the format going to look like? You know, the book is all written, but editing, proofreading, we had four uh, advanced readers and they had ideas of things to add. And we had time to add those and we had time to correct some things and, and just really come out with a great book. So, so altogether, you know, starting in January of 19, you know, ultimately ending April 15th of 21, you know, a little bit over two years, but every second was worth it. You know, the book that came out is amazing. I'm so proud of it. You know, I'm so thankful for Barry Hill for taking the book up. You know, it's just so much better than I ever could have envisioned it being in January of 2019. It's better than I ever could have envisioned it. You know, had the book come out as originally scheduled in May of 2020, it wouldn't have been embarrassing. It just would not, I don't think, had the resonance that this book has. I'm very, very proud of how it turned out. You know, sometimes you just have to wait a while, but the outcome is the best. Exactly. I mean, everything always works out. You know, things that happen, things will always happen that you don't want to happen, but they're what needs to happen. You know, I did not want this first publisher pulling out last minute after I'd already signed a contract with them, you know, and after I'd already had a whole book written, that's what needed to happen because I needed those three extra months to deliver not just a quality book on a level that is just so far above, you know, what I ever dreamed of. So, you know, everything always happens, you know, for, for a very, very good reason. And everything always has a positive outcome. I think that's one of the biggest things I learned writing this book for sure. Now, Evan, what do you think was the most difficult part of the writing process with Kings Island, A Ride Through Time? The most difficult part of the actual writing process, I would have to say, you know, the whole interview aspect for the most part, you know, was not too hard to, you know, for the most part, it was not too hard to contact people. Um, The hard part was hearing back from them. You know, as much as I like to imagine that everybody's on my schedule and, you know, email me as soon as they see my email, you know, that's not how the world works. You know, that's just stupid thinking. You know, sometimes it took a while and sometimes, you know, they just wouldn't email back at all. And so that, that was the biggest challenge was hearing back from them and making sure that you had everything you know, lined up, you know, but, but again, I was able to get just about everybody that I wanted to in the end, you know, there were a few things that you know, didn't really you know, work out, but I think overall, everything I think really, really ended up working out, you know, even the things that took a while ended up having a great payoff, you know, Rob Decker is you know, the biggest example of that, you know, I was originally scheduled to interview him in March of 2019. Ultimately, you know, things happened and I wasn't able to interview him until December of 2020. My interview, but because I had all that time and because I interviewed so many people in between the interview questions that I wrote in March of 2019, by, by interviewing him so much later in the process, I was able to really refine those questions and add those questions, uh, add to add onto those questions. And I think, you know, I was really able to get a much, much better interview with him than what it would have been in March of 19. Out of all 41 people that you interviewed, what was the most one that you enjoyed the most? Oh, that's a good question. I don't like to play favorites. You know, I, I have a great relationship with these people. Yeah, I think certainly, you know, some of the most memorable ones, you know, definitely my first one comes to mind. You know, the first person I ever interviewed was Walt Davis. And he was the director of maintenance and construction at the park from 1978 to 1982. And then he was director of park operations from 1982 to 1984. 
I, you know, I'm not even exaggerating when I say this, you know, when I first started thinking about this book, I literally, you know, I sent out like five emails to people whose, whose names I'd heard you know, affiliated with the park. And Walt Davis was the person who, you know, yeah, I emailed him. I, I found him very, very, you know, I found his email address very, very easily, but he responded and I had never, you know, written a book before. You know, it's like, you know, from his perspective, it's like you have this high schooler emailing you, you know, they have no real, they have no tangible resume. They have this grand vision of a Kings Island history book. You know, from his perspective, it's like, you have no idea who this person is. You don't know whether or not they're going to do a good job. They, you know, you don't know whether or not they're going to do your story justice. He took a chance on me and he said, yes. And I met with him two days later and I had a wonderful interview with him, but because he took that chance on me, on a 15 year old high school student with this crazy idea, because he took a chance on me, that opened the door for everything that followed. And that is just amazing. That's probably the most meaningful. Cause like I said, that just opened the door for everything that followed. And then um, Gary walks, you know, I have a great, re- you know, I have a, I have a great relationship with Gary, you know, who founded Kings Island. I was just out. I still, you know, I interviewed him. He was one of the first people I interviewed in January, you know, late January of 2019. And we still, um, you know, go out for coffee uh, every couple months. So we still keep in contact, which is wonderful. So he's great. And Rob Decker, you know, that was an interview, you know, like I said earlier, you know, that was very impactful because, you know, because of, of how long, you know, that took, you know, and, and there was a lot of things that happened, but, you know, making that work was so special. You know, everybody, you know, this is another thing that I, that I tried to do with my book is, is there are a lot of people who are associated with other parks that had a huge impact on Kings Island. You know, Rob Decker is one of those people that everybody associates with Cedar Point. He, he's had probably a bigger impact on Kings Island than any other one person other than, you know, Gary Walks who founded the park. So that was very important that I interviewed him as well. So those are some of, you know, again, I don't want to play favorites. I'm not going to say that these are my favorites, but, you know, these are the ones that are, you know, are probably the most impactful in my mind. But really, you know, everybody that I interviewed, you know, everybody brought something new to the table. Everybody had it has a different perspective. One of the things that I tried to do is I tried to interview so many people from all different areas of the park. So instead of just having just the general managers or just, you know, people in maintenance and construction, I wanted to have a broad spectrum of, of everybody. So I have general managers, I have maintenance people, I have finance people, I have marketing people, I have corporate people, you know, I have, I have planning and design people. So it's a really wonderful mix of people and in different perspectives on the park. Um, it's just so amazing. And it's just so wonderful to meet all these people and interview them, you know, or talk with them over the phone. And, and it's just so awesome to hear their story. You know, one of the people that's so amazing is, um, was, um, unfortunately, Richard Fussner was the park's first loss preventions director. And unfortunately, he just passed away in February. And nobody knows his name. But every time you go to an amusement park, whether it's Kings Island, whether it's Cedar Point, there is always a fun and safety guide in front of every ride. Okay. Richard Fussner invented that at Kings Island. Nobody, you know, nobody has ever recognized, you know, or I guess nobody, you know, ever recognized him for that, you know, before my book. So um, unfortunately, you know, he passed away in February, but luckily I was able to interview him and I was able to, to still share his story with the world. Now that's the one that as you're going into the ride, it has all the like, do not ride if you're feeling like this or whatnot, right? Yes, exactly. So that actually came about because a man was injured. Kings Island used to have a ride called the Bavarian Beetle. It was a roller coaster where the best house was, uh, best houses. And there was a, like a 91 year old man injured his back and sued Kings Island. And his lawyer said, well, the ride operator should have known 
that this is a 91-year-old man, they should have known to keep him off the ride. They should have known that he was going to injure his back. And so it was Richard Fussner's idea to make that that board you know, that says, that puts the responsibility on the rider. And that was invented in 1978. And in 1987, that was adopted for international usage by the International Association of Amusement Parks and Attractions. So that became the industry standard. And that was invented right here at Kings Island by one man, Richard Fussner. And actually, uh, Mr. Fussner, he, you know, amusement parks at the time, you know, safety director, that wasn't really a thing. You know, amusement parks have always been very safety minded, but there was not like a, a dedicated role. And, and Mr. Fussner wrote so many rules and policies, and he is a pioneer in amusement park safety. If you've ever had a safe day at an amusement park, he is the one to thank because he set the standard that every park followed. That's good to know. Now, what was your favorite moment or section in the book? Again, it's like asking, like, you know, you know, I love, there's so many great parts of the book and there are so many parts where I'm writing, where I was writing it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so exciting. Like, I'm like, I, you know, yeah, kind of like pat myself on the back a little bit. It's like, I, you know, I'm doing such a great job. And then of course, you know, when I, when I got the physical copy of the book for the first time, read it cover to cover and I'm reading through it. And I'm like, you know, again, you know, I don't want to sound like vain, but like, you know, I give myself a little pat on the back. I'm like, you know, this section really reads very, very well. A couple sections in particular that I'm, I'm very, very fond of the whole beginning section about founding Kings Island. You know, that's an awesome story. And, and a lot of people know the basics. It's just that, the basics. You know, people know, oh, it started because of a flood and it came out of Coney Island and somebody named Gary Watts was involved. And nobody really knows anything other than that. So really getting in deep and, you know, all of the negotiations, you know, with Taft Broadcasting and laying out the park, all of that information is so fascinating to people. And it's just such a great story. I love the, the section about the beast. You know, that's another great section. You know, that ride, yeah, as you know, you know, cause you've, you've read past that section. I think that ride was designed and built entirely in house and hearing that story is amazing. Like that does not happen. You know, that's just, that's an awesome story about the talent, you know, that we have here at the park. Um, the story behind Winterfest. I love that one. That's another great one. You know, not a lot of people, you know, everybody loves coming to Winterfest, but nobody knows that Winterfest was the first time a Christmas event had been put on by a seasonal park. Of course, the Disney parks always do Christmas events. No seasonal park did. No seasonal park did a Christmas event. And that was Walt Davis. That was literally his idea. Winterfest was his invention. Everybody at the park was convinced that it was going to fail. It succeeded spectacularly. And again, that's one of those stories that nobody knows about, but it's just such an interesting and frankly entertaining read. Walt Davis, he is a great storyteller. So I think everybody reading that will really come to enjoy that. You know, one of my personal favorites for sure is the Orion section. And, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give away too much. You know, I already talked about how they named it. I'm not going to give away too much on you know, how that ride came to be at Kings Island, but that is a very, very interesting story. I think people are really, really going to enjoy it. I've already heard a lot of people tell me that they like that section. It's always fun to, you know, break a story, you know, with this book, it's like pretty much every story in the book is, is a, is a new story. Cause nothing like this has ever been done. You know, nobody's interviewed any of these people before the Orion story that is basically breaking news because the ride, you know, is it's a new ride. So, so yeah, the story behind Orion is really, really interesting. I think it's fascinating on um, there's so many levels. And that's, that's one of those sections where I really got to talk with everybody that was associated with that ride. So you get all sorts of perspectives on, you know, locating it, designing it, you know, the theming, you know, area 72, opening it, all of that. I just think it's it just a very wide range 
of interesting perspectives. Those are uh, a couple highlights for me personally. But like I said, it's it's hard to pick a favorite because you know I just think I'm just so proud of how it turned out. You know, it it just it just really it's just on another level of of what you know I ever dreamed was possible. Well, Evan, thank you so much for coming on and uh, sharing with us your incredible story and your journey of how you created your book. The one final question I have for you is that. Here at the Coaster Challenge podcast, we were a relatively young podcast, but we have made huge traction in the roller coaster and theme park community. We've had a lot of amazing guests, and you're like Iva said earlier, you're the first guest to be an author on our podcast, which is a great honor. Now, the mission of our podcast when we started this is that we're on a mission here. This is not a Me Too product like many other coaster podcasts. Our mission in this podcast is to help people who are afraid to get on a roller coaster that have deep fears, deep anxieties, that suffer depression, that have all kinds of demons in their life that prevent them from living a better life. We are on this mission to help people break their fears. If there's one thing I will tell you, riding roller coasters for me has really changed my life to the point where I am at where I'm at right now. And I think we can all agree that the pandemic last year really showed how much fear is out in our country today and around the world. We are on a mission to help change that because I feel that everybody should be able to live a fear, fear-free life. What advice could you give to anybody out there, people that are people your age or even older, people out there that are looking to dream, looking to live their passions, but fear is kind of stopping them from being able to move forward with their passions? What advice could you give to those out there who would love to be where you and Iva and myself are at right now? Believe in yourself. Believe in the quality of your work. You know, you are doing amazing things and, and you have to believe that you are doing amazing things. I think that is so true. And that is one of the things that helped me the most. You know, when the first publisher pulled out, it would have been so easy for me to have just said, you know what, this is a sign. You know, my work is not good you know, I should not pursue this any further, but I didn't. I knew that I had a great idea. I knew that I could make this book work. And so because of that, here we are with the book actually coming out. So believe in yourself and don't, the obstacles that happen, you know, there will be obstacles. They are what needs to happen for you to reach your full potential with whatever you're doing in life. Just, just do that. Believe in yourself and just know that, you know, everything that happens, you know, it'll have, you know, there'll be a positive outcome that'll come out of that. Don't stop believing. So, but yeah. Well said. Yes. Very well said. You know, those obstacles only make you stronger. Exactly. And they only make your work stronger, your, your products even stronger. Yeah. Thank you again, Evan, so much for taking the time to be here. Now for our listeners, where can they find you on social media? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at E Ponstingle. That's E P O N S T I N G L E. Sorry about that. Sorry for how long that is, but you can follow me on Twitter and you will be able to see everything and anything that is happening with me and with the book. So be sure to follow me on that for all the latest updates. And if they cannot get to the park to purchase your book, where can they purchase your book online? Yes, you can purchase my book um, just about anywhere books are sold online. So Amazon, you can get it from my publisher's website. It's rivershorecreative.com. 
slash Kings Island. And you can get it from them. And you can also get it from Barnes and Noble's online store. And there's also plenty of places in person that you can get the book. So if you're in the Cincinnati area, you can stop by Joseph Beth Bookstore. They carry it. Um, you can stop by uh, Barnes and Noble. They carry the book uh, in their, both on their online stores and in, in the in-person stores. And also, I just found out Jungle Gyms is also carrying the book now. That is cool because Jungle Gyms has the monorail from Kings Island. Yes, exactly. And, and actually, Kings Island, they were originally going to keep that monorail. After the animals were gone, they were going to turn it into the movie rail. But I should probably yes. shut up. People should read the book for themselves. I don't want to spoil too much. <laughs> I've, I've probably already spoiled a fair amount. But <laughs> I've gotten past that monorail part, so you didn't spoil that part for me okay. at all. Okay, good. <laughs> That's an interesting little tidbit there. But yeah, glad to hear it. Glad to hear that didn't spoil a lot for you. So No, again, I love your book, Evan. I have not, unfortunately, got a chance to finish it. But what I've read, I love. And I am a huge reader, for one thing. And I love reading about definitely one of my home parks history. So thank you again for being an inspiration to people who want to pursue a career in writing. And, you know, like you said, you know, just don't give up and, you know, live out your dreams. So thank you again so much for being our guest today. Evan it has been a pleasure and I will definitely try to find you the next time I am down in Keens Island because I want to meet you in, actually in person besides on Zoom right now. Yes, for sure. Well, I'll tell you what, I have to move into college on August 17th. So you can swing by anytime before then and I will probably be there. But thanks so much for having me on the podcast, Iva and David. I, I really appreciate it. It's really been fun. It's really been my pleasure. Oh, it's a great honor, Evan. And thank you so much. And uh, yes, and we wish you great success. Yes. Thanks so much. Thank you, Evan. Thank you, Iva. That was an incredible interview, Jenna. Yeah, it was. His attention to detail on the history of Kings Island is really amazing. And just just hearing about the Paramount days over at Kings Island and just in him being able to interview all the former executives and everybody that that was all part of Kings Island's history. That is very huge right there because it's really hard sometimes to get some of these people lined up to be able to even do it. Just like what we try to do for our podcast. Right. We're trying to interview some of the greatest people in the theme park industry, but it's really hard to get some people lined up to do a small podcast like ourselves. But we are an up and coming podcast, so we've got a lot of big surprises for all you guests later on this season too. So, <laughs> Yeah, but, I mean, it's uh, that's a very huge thing. I mean, I'm glad that he was able to be able to you know write a book about it i mean even at 16 years old i mean i don't know any 16 year old out there at this moment <laughs> that's like hey yes. i'm going to write a book about you know this theme park and be able to get the the guests the interviews and stuff that he did from all these big time executives yeah and also like how he what made him decide to do this book was he re he's worked at king's island for many seasons and he works in merchandising in the stores and he realized that in the stores there's all these books but there was not a book about the history of king's island where disney has books about it universal has some history books some of the other theme parks around the country have history books about their parks but there was not one for Kings Island. I mean, there was a history book for Cedar Point. There's a history book for Knott's Berry Farm. Yeah, but Kings Island did not. And he saw there was a need and he went after it. And look what happened. He just came up with a very successful book. I'm very proud of you, Evan. Awesome job. And for all you guys out there, all those, all the young ones, if, if Evan can do it, so can you. All you got to do is 
keep apply up with, yourself yes apply yourself keep that dream in your head don't give up you're gonna f- always expect failure you're always gonna fail at something all you gotta do is pick yourself back up and dust yourself off and say let's do it again except this time let's go back and see why we failed and then correct ourselves and then move forward again and then you'd be amazed the progress that you get from doing that. Well, I believe that's like the Edison thing. He didn't, when he was making the light bulb, he wasn't looking at the failures as, you know, they were failures that he didn't accomplish it. He just found different ways of not being able to get it to work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, even if you can't get it to work the first time, keep trying. And that's what it comes down to is try, try again. And eventually you get it. Yeah, my my thing, that's how my motive is. I never believe in throwing in the towel. I believe in keep at it, keep trying. And it's like you can fail 99 times out of 100, but there's still that one time that it will succeed. And uh, so you just got to keep at it and don't give up. That's all I can tell. And Evan even admitted in the interview that he was going to give up, but then he just kept finding the motivation to keep going and it pays off. It really pays off. And congratulations to Evan for that. Yes, definitely. Very proud of you, kid. So anyway, guys, we had a terrific episode today. We've got another exciting one happening next week. But first, Justin, how can our listeners be able to find us on social media? If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And if you want to see more from us, we upload every Friday. And check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, all at Coaster Challenge. Links in the description. Thank you, Justin. Yes, guys. And don't forget that make sure to subscribe to all our social media pages. Send us some ideas. You can also send us stuff at info at coasterchallengepodcast.com. And make sure, you know, if you have any suggestions, we'd love to hear from you. And yep, until next week, guys. But also, I want to let you all know that it looks like the month of November, guys, the entire Coaster Challenge podcast team is taking a holiday break to celebrate Thanksgiving. We're not going to have any new episodes coming out throughout the month of november but we will be back in december with probably some special christmas episodes so we're not going to be gone for long we're just going to take a four week break but until then guys this is david Cantu, jenna gazelle and we'll see you all guys in december on the coaster challenge podcast <laughs>